Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is Kave. I love it. I am the host of this humor adjacent medical podcast uh, where we talk about some medical things sometimes not. Joining me today, two returning guests that I am very happy to have back on. Dr. Tyler Black. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Um, Adolescent child psychiatrist, uh, suicidologist. I mean, is that my, my nailing it? Am I getting it? Am I getting the basics? I want to say now astrophotographer because I've actually sold one print. I'm very proud of myself. I sold one of my astrophotography prints. Your pictures are really, really nice. I'm being totally honest when I say that. Um, what, what was the picture of? It was of the Andromeda Galaxy. It's a classic galaxy, but um, yeah, it was a good enough photo that someone liked it. So that's cool. How does how do you do that with a with oh. like an iPhone camera, I'm assuming? <laughs> you know, you start with like an iPhone camera and you do a 15 second exposure and like, oh, that's kind of cool. You can see the stars. And then you go down the rabbit hole and you just buy more and more and more and more. It's telescopes and telescope coolers and telescope warmers and wow. guide scopes for your telescope and special cameras and all that. And so can you answer this question for me? Mm. I'll be out. I'll see a full moon and it will look amazing. I'm like, oh my God, there's yeah. a full moon over yeah. San Francisco. I got to take a picture of this. It's like half the size of the city. And then I take the picture and it comes out as a tiny little <laughs> dot, like in the distance. Why is that? You're never going to do well with a cell phone. You're not going to get that much better just because the size of the aperture and the size of the sensor. But I would say, make sure you go to manual settings and underexpose it because it's trying to expose the entire sky and it's going to turn whatever is there in just to a big white light. But if you underexpose it, you can actually see some moon details, even on an iPhone with Zoom. Wow. Very good. Very good. Joining us as well, Tyler, is uh, Josh McGough. Josh, are, when are you going to become a Dr. McGough? 
in a little less than a month and wow. reality is slowly kicking in. Oh man. What, how do you feel? You know, whatever that curve is, of, <laughs> there's an appropriate level of stress that keeps you productive. I'm trying mm -hmm. to stay there. Um, but right now it's equal parts, super stoked and a little, little bit terrified to have the extra responsibility. <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty big jump. I think actually I'll tell you this because right now you're a medical student and you're going to be starting your residency in uh, emergency medicine for uh, people who haven't uh, met Josh yet. And I, I do think the biggest jump isn't necessarily from medical student to first year or intern. I think the next jump is a little bit bigger from intern to residence from first year to second year uh, postgraduate, but you're also better trained for it. So mm -hmm. I think, I think you're pretty well prepared. I've, I mean, I've, I've talked to you a couple of times now. I feel like I have a good sense of you. I think you're going to do a great job, but we didn't actually talk that much about um, something interesting before uh, Tyler and I are going to give you advice uh, in a minute, unsolicited advice. Yeah. But yeah. before we get to our unsolicited advice on how to handle and survive residency, we didn't talk about this last time you were on. You've actually uh, been working as a medical student. And I don't mean not like working as a medical student, but you've been working uh, an actual job as a medical. Is that correct? Yeah. So throughout uh, first and second year, usually like two, two or three hours a day, I would work uh, at the end of that day in, the, in those kind of witching hours between like 9 p.m. and midnight where other people uh, like to relax with their Netflix shows or things like that. I was more of the, let me earn a little bit of money um, so I can pay for uh, date nights with my wife or now it's more like formula because everything for babies is super expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what I've been doing for med school. Yeah. What did what, you do for those hours? Yeah. What were you, yeah. What were you doing and how could you, yeah. well, let's, let's, what were you doing first? They're, they're, they're pretty flexible things right now. I'm, I mainly have two gigs. One of them is um, I do like webinars and different social media, like, free resources for blueprint test prep. It's one of those like pre-med MCAT um, companies, but my role is more to do free webinars for pre-meds that are interested in how do I figure out the MCAT? How do I figure out interviews? And I essentially give them like thousands of podcasts and free resources that I used uh, to get me through the process. And I say, if you exhaust all these things and you need extra help there are things that you can pay for. But my thing is more like the, you don't need to shell out thousands of dollars just to apply to, to medical school because it's already so cost prohibitive for so many folks. Um, that That's my first gig. Um, my other gig is a little more random. I do social media and a bunch of like backend patient communications for like a dermatology department for Mount Sinai, which is not what I'm going into at all, but it was kind of a gig I fell into in grad school. And I've just kind kind of kept it up the past couple of years wait so like you're running their like instagram page or something yeah so if you look up like mountain sinai dermatology their instagram mm -hmm. their twitter the email chains for different uh patients if uh, the insurances that a provider accepts changes if they're offering a new like laser something uh i do a lot of those communications um that's kind of my role with them do you do do you follow and then clap back at dr pimple popper a lot or do you no if anything she's inspiration on how to create yes. a brand yes uh, no that kidding people recognize um no kidding. but yeah no, there's definitely a cathartic component uh, to watching pimple popper videos as well <laughs> somebody came to me and they were like you should be like the pimple popper 
but for GI. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> come on. No. I draw a line somewhere. I'm shameless, but come on. I mean, this- relieving constipation feels good, but it does not look good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think I was told there is a market for it, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. Well, uh, man, so you've been working pretty hard then because medical school is really hard. And then not, there's not a lot of downtime and you're right. The amount of downtime you have you usually spend sort of recharging. How did you recharge then if you were like off time working? Well, it, it's kind of two different things in a way it was recharging because it was a side of my brain that I never had to use in medical school. Like a lot of it was like Excel sheet stuff or, or things that just didn't apply to medical school at all. So it didn't exhaust my brain in that regard. But I think the reward of like, okay, if I can work for X amount of hours this week, then like that's our groceries for the month. Or like if I can work this amount of hours, I I didn't think of it more in terms of money, but more in terms of like the things that uh, my wife and I need to survive. Um, Mm -hmm. That was kind of fulfilling enough in itself to kind of keep me doing that. Um, Brownie points are always useful, man. Like (laughs) anything that I can do to make sure my wife still likes me. um, I feel like I did a pretty good job at that during medical school. Like that's a that's a pretty big motivation as well oh my god the fact that you care if your wife likes you oh is god. so adorable i would have soaked it up so much i'd be like i can't do anything it's impossible i'm such a busy medical student i, I don't know about you tyler i could not hold down a relationship when i was in medical school like <laughs> the thing about medical school is it doesn't it doesn't inherently break up a relationship but if there's any faults or flaws in it it really exacerbates them and brings them to light and like you uh it, it's so hard man i, I yeah. could not do it i was i've talked about it on the show a couple of times my like relationships in medical school were fraught with danger and peril <laughs> <laughs> not good not yeah. good so god bless you for being able to do it I, I remember when i was like in first year there was a guy a couple of years ahead of me and he was a little older he seemed like ancient at the time but he was probably like 30 and he had like um he had kids and i remember he would be driving to you know the medical school reading a book while he was driving he like put it like in on his wheel and be reading as he was driving this is back before like you know, autopilot or anything like that it was just insane like i mean the like i couldn't imagine it i have so much respect for you for having a kid and being able to manage that keep a kid alive and then you know keep your relationship alive and then uh have a job on top of that it's pretty nuts man kudos you appreciate that i think a lot of it is in any given day um i try to only accomplish like four things a day i feel like anything more than that i just don't accomplish anything so my things throughout clerkships because my daughter was born uh during my pediatrics clerkship if i was able to show up on time for clerkship do my flashcards for the day do my questions for the day make dinner and uh, fill my rings on my Apple watch. Like those are five things. If I only did those five things, that was a successful day. Um, by the nature of my program, I just needed to like pass school. I didn't need to worry about like honor committee for this and this interest group and these research projects. So I really only prioritized like my own personal happiness. And then after that passing school, but I found that when I kept things simple, like my grades got much better. Um, than trying to overextend myself everywhere. So it's a lesson I wish I learned earlier, for sure. Pretty baller, though. Pass-fail makes a big difference, too, not worrying about um, 
like where you rank and stuff like that. That makes a big oh, difference. Oh, for sure. All our preclinical stuff was just pass fail. Step one was pass fail for me. Uh, still a very stressful process for sure. Yeah. Um, but that really kind of cut out the competition um, for my class as a whole. Yeah, I'm sure you worked much better together because of it too. Well, um, mm -hmm. now that you're going on to residency, Tyler and I thought we would give you some advice. Um, but then Tyler was like in pure evil psychiatrist fashion, Let's give him three pieces of advice. One uh, good, I'm sorry, one bad and two good. <laughs> and you have to figure out what they are. It, maybe it'll be obvious. Tyler, why don't you go first? Why don't you, uh, wh what are your three pieces of advice for young, soon to be Dr. McGough? The first would be um, make sure you continue to do teaching with medical students because when you do that, you can recognize your own progress and it fuels your education. Uh, the second would be um, when you have an opportunity, um, always ask a question. Don't assume because you're now a doctor and a resident that you can't ask foundational questions. And then the third would be um, whenever you're on call, make sure to um, let your supervisor know when you're not going to be taking call, when you're gonna turn off your pager or turn off your cell phone and just take your breaks no matter what they say. Wait a minute, those all sounded like real advice though. Oh, I know. <laughs> Wait a minute, those are all really good. <laughs> so the, the first one sounded good to me. Um, make sure you still teach your medical students. I feel like, um, it, it might be easy for me to forget what it was like to be a medical student like one year ago, like let your med students go home if there's nothing for them to do. Don't just pimp them for the sake of it. Make sure you know what their goals are for learning. That sounded like good advice. The second one I know is good advice as well. Foundational questions. I feel like at every step of this educational process, I reached a point where it was like, I don't know what's a good example. I don't know what aldosterone does. And I feel like it's too late to ask, you know, like I can't ask. I'm just never going to know. And I feel like that all that does is make me feel worried about myself and potentially endanger patients. So I feel like that's a good question. Um, Cause you forget things, you know what I mean? Like, um, so that sounds good. The thing about the third one is I don't think my supervisor wants to know when I'm not taking more messages or whatever you said. I don't yeah. think those are things that they really need to hear from me. Um, <laughs> but the first two definitely sound good. Show up to work and then you have to know your supervisor. Some supervisors are so lenient. They'll be like, just as long as I can call you, just let me know how to get a hold of you. If you need time, take it. Others will be like, it's eight to, you know, and, and the, the responsibility level will change very, very much based off of your supervisors wasn't the mm. best advice i would say ask you know what's your break policy like what's how long do you need me when's time that i can take for myself those types of things and then just do it yeah. All right. good. i got i got some for you okay uh one yeah. make sure to do your basic health care like it, for example go to the dentist i'll tell you this i when i was in residency i didn't go to the dentist until my chief residency. So like after three years of residency, I was like, oh man, I finally have time to like do something for myself. I'm gonna go to the dentist. And I had like 45 cavities. <laughs> I had to like do me in installments. They're like, we can't, we're gonna have to do a quadrant at a time for you. So don't, don't do what I did, you know, go and get your routine, uh, like healthcare needs met. 
drink water when you can. I knew a resident who got kidney stones when they were on call one night. It was awful. So do what you got to do in that regard. Two, hang out with people outside of your field. I'm not even saying necessarily they have to be non-doctors, although you should definitely hang out with non-doctors too. Um, but definitely hang out with medical professionals outside of your field. You're going to make some of your best friends in residency for sure. A uh, big part of that is because it's like boot camp in a way you're going to go through something that no one else will ever experience. And you'll be closer to these people in the way than you will be with most people. And it's your last opportunity really to make really tight, meaningful friendships. Once you get older, you become an attending, you're working your job, you'll still make friends here and there. Like, but it's much harder to meet, make those meaningful relationships happen. These are like some of the, like my best friend is, is a guy I met in my first uh, week of internship and he wasn't in my field. He was a radiologist. Um, and then third is make sure you buy a home. Um, I want you to, to focus a lot of your attention and energy right now on trying to own property. Um, those are my three pieces for you. What do you think? So I know the third one is bad because I've listened to enough of the white coat investor and all those other <laughs> folks to be like, at minimum, stay at the same place for six or seven years. Don't be tempted by the physician mortgage so you don't have to pay um, the extra whatever it was. So, and I don't even have the money to even afford that anyway. So that's definitely not going to happen. Can I tell you, can I tell you <laughs> the a other one? quick story about the white coat investor? When I first, sure. there's this, to people who don't know, there's this other guy, I've never actually listened to the show, but there's another podcast called The White Coat Investor. And the guy um, taught, he's like a doctor, he talks about investment. And when I first started the podcast, I like sent him a message being like, hey, um, would you like to come on and, and talk about stocks? And he was like, how many listeners do you have? And which is a totally valid question, but it just rubbed me the wrong way. And my initial response was three and two of them are your mom. And then I was like, <laughs> No, I, I shouldn't send that. I shouldn't send that. I didn't send that. That's in my white coat investor story. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That's that. What were you going to say about the other two? I'm I'm sure uh, white coat investor responded very well to that comment. That was well <laughs> I did, I played did, on your part. I did actually say I said something else. I was like, oh, it's fine. I made a joke. Some some other joke. I was like, gotcha. I probably shouldn't. Uh, but the other two sound legit. I too went multiple years without going to a dentist. Um, so that definitely checks out. Um, and uh, the camaraderie component, people outside my field or people outside of medicine, I feel like the more time I spend using the parts of my brain that I've neglected while in training, like reading fiction or belting out Dear Evan Hansen on my way to work, just to <laughs> get some feelings out, or the more time I spend outside of medicine, I feel like it allows me to show up more as a person. Uh, it, when I see patients, it also so I, really, I'll tell you, it really sets the, it sets this, the bars for what is normal and what isn't. Cause sometimes I would go home and I would tell my friend who's in law school or my brother who's going through law school, I would say something about something that happened to work today. And they go, Holy cow, that's really effed up, man. <laughs> and I would yeah. like, you're right. It is. I didn't think about it at that perspective. <laughs> it's my every day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it does help set that barometer really nicely to, yeah. to get some I have, a, I have a phrase that I like to say. I feel like as a trainee, you pick certain quips that you see different attendings say, and you take that into your own career. Um, but I had one who would say uh, to something that sounded so benign, like a patient mm -hmm. who was super concerned about, oh, I broke my back, but it was 
paraspinal or is muscular or whatever. But he would always say like, I see this every day, but I want to recognize that like, this is completely new to you. You don't spend every day in the emergency <laughs> department at the hospital, yeah. you know? And I feel yeah. like using that as a check to be like, oh, this is, this is strange. Like someone yeah. died and now I'm just talking to you. Like, this is a strange existence that we have. Yeah. Um, I feel I, I like was... that helps as well. I was dating this, uh, I've told this story before, but I don't think you guys heard it. I was dating this, um, this girl was really serious about at the start of med school, I met her in college. And I remember one day just sort of casually telling her about my day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm frustrated. There's this patient in the ICU and he's, I'm trying everything I can think of. We're trying everything, but the patient's really circling the drain. And she just looked when I said that phrase, like I'd hit her in the chest with a ton of bricks. She was like, I, what? I can't believe you're saying that about a person. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is pretty fucked up. That is really fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> but you just like at some degree, you, yeah. you have you have to have people keeping you in check with that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's transition to some other stuff. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, coming up in a little bit, we're gonna have a because we're gonna be talking about a number of things. One of which is. Um, COVID and the stresses of COVID on today's youth. So today we're going to have with us a youth. Uh, my niece is going to join us in a little bit uh, uh, to give us the youth perspective. But before we do, let's set a little backdrop here. We, we sort of hit this, we hit this dubious milestone uh, where we're getting to about 300 deaths per 100,000 people in the U.S. due to COVID. It's about 0.3% of the population of the United States has died from COVID. It's a, it's a pretty remarkable number. I mean, um, Tyler, I think you said it once. To put it in perspective, there's about 188 deaths per 100,000 Americans from all cancer comers. And all cancer. And we're yes. at 300. Uh, in two years. So, you know, you divide that and it kind of, you know, it, it's a little bit less than cancer, but basically adding COVID to 2020 was like doubling cancer in 2019. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible amount of death, right? Um, this is, we're talking about excess mortality. It's been proven that excess mortality is happening. And, you know, during this whole crisis, the, the common narrative, I think we've all heard is that there's been a tremendous burden on the mental health of our youth. I think um, we we're all aware of that. And it definitely, it's true you know, the Surgeon General back in January issued a report calling it a mental health crisis for our youth. The CDC put out some information recently showing increased rates, uh, suicide ideation and stress. But maybe, Tyler, you can help us interpret some of this data. Can you tell us yeah. what the numbers are showing, what they are and, and how you interpret them? Yeah, it's it's so nuanced. You know, it's it's, you know. You don't want to sound too wonky about stuff, but I would say, you know, if you want to try and say a single sentence about what's happened to kids' mental health during the pandemic, you're going to have a really hard time because there's so many things that go into it. There's a group of kids that flourished during the pandemic, and there's a group of kids that really st struggled during the pandemic. And as we get more and more data, we try and sort it out. But I think the first thing to say is set the stage prior to the pandemic things were not going well for pediatric mental health. Um, sadness, suicidal thinking, one in, um, one in six teens thought about suicide seriously in 2019. Um, 
you know, like the, this was not a great situation to begin with. And so a lot of the things that are being attributed to the pandemic are really just the continuation of previous trends. Suicidal thinking, you know, there's a CDC report out showing that, you know, one in one in six kids was thinking about suicide during the 2021 period of the pandemic. But that was true in 2019, too. <laughs> so, of course, it's a shocking number, but it's very hard to blame that on the pandemic when it was existing in 2019 and 2017 and 2015. Yeah, there there was that chart that the CDC pointed out, and you do see this line going up in regards to kids feeling sad every day for a two-week period, and you see that's very high. You see it's like 44%, but you also see that in, nine, in 2019, it was like 37%, and then the year before that, it was like 32%, and you see that it has been sort of climbing yeah. up in that way. So it, it's it's true that it's bad, but it sounds like it was getting it was going this way in the first yeah. place which i mean is not i don't know if that makes it any better it's it's still it's still an issue i mean i know i know we talked a, a while back and the cdc showed something last year that there was initial actual drop in suicide rates um but then the average number seemed to go up a little bit but but how do you parse out the numbers of the increase in suicide rates is it in certain populations yeah, I mean, so it looks like the pandemic was rougher on girls, for example. So we see eating disorder rates have increased in young girls. Um, most of the emergency department data, and, and um, Josh, you may know a lot about this as well, just through your clinical experience. Early 2021, the first six months of 2021, it was a really busy time for girls in the ER. Um, suicidal thinking non-suicidal self-injury, which is often conflated with, with suicidal thinking, which isn't the same thing. Um, and lots of psychiatric distress was, was up. Overall, you know, does it look that much different than previous trends? I mean, there was a spike for girls in, in the early part of 2021, but that was during a time people, you know, it's hard to remember everything in the pandemic, but schools were closed for most of 2020 and they were open for most of 2021. So I always want to point a little bit at are we sure that opening schools was the best thing for kids during the pandemic? Like, are we really sure about that? Um, because again, prior to the pandemic, every June, July, August, we would see suicide rates plummet in kids and suicide presentations and emergency presentations to our, to our hospitals for mental health problems in kids. They would plummet every time school was out. Every spring break, they, they fall down again. Every Christmas break, they fall down again. And, um, and, and so, you know, a lot of things are being pointed at as being caused by the pandemic, but, you know, it's really hard to know, to tease that out. We're just now getting the data that's showing us all the factors. For example, for sadness, one of the drivers was, was it whether or not there was physical abuse in the home, whether or not the person experienced racial mistreatment ever in their life was a contributor to their sadness, uh, much more so than whether or not they went to school um, or whether or not Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They, they use their computer for more than three hours a day. So, you know, some of the factors that we're seeing that are driving some of the issues for kids in the United States have to do with some social factors that are really hard to solve. You know, I've, I've seen that the rates of drug overdose deaths went up uh, in 2020. Uh, I saw that it was a 30% increase from the rates in 2019. And I've seen some people suggest that that could be hiding some suicide numbers. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? We know that use of drugs hasn't increased. Um, so what's happened is the toxicity of the drug supply has, has changed because of the pandemic. Um, without the ability to import people, uh, you lost the ability to smuggle drugs and uh, you lost a lot of the ability to bring drugs across borders. Um, what that ended up doing is putting a, a strain on people who use substances to use more potent substances and put a strain on people who sold substances to cheat in what they were selling. So you were seeing a lot of things that are being sold that contain fentanyl um, or synthetic versions of opioids and, and cannabis and things like that that are more dangerous with lots of impurities. So what we actually saw was the the death rate of using substances went up without the number of people using substances. So people often will kind of lazily say something like, well, drug overdoses are up. So that just means more people were suffering. It's just, they didn't die of suicide. They died of, died of drug overdose, but that's, that's really not what's happening. Um, there was a, unfortunately a natural consequence of shutting down all the borders and not providing people who use substances with safe supplies of drugs meant that they had to use unsafe supplies of drugs. And, and so the toxicity of using substances went sky high in 2020 and 2021. So do you think that there's, I mean, I always, whenever I see these fentanyl laced like marijuana, I'm always like, really? Like who is, what kind of guy selling pot is taking the time and effort to lace it with fentanyl? Like that, it doesn't, it's like the old, like the drug, like this, the person putting drugs into candy in Halloween. I'm like, who, we should have an who? ask Ryan Marino section. Of I know. I, I, we, <laughs> I, would say, I would say those, those substances are um, like fentanyl and synthetic fentanyl, synthetic methamphetamines. They're very cheap, extremely cheap to make very relatively, unfortunately, um, lots of ways to, to synthesize these. Um, and so, you know, it seems outlandish, but when you, when you're, when you need something to take something away from your brain, whether it's you're using and you need something to take the edge off, or you're using more compulsively and you need something to get the fix, um, you'll look for anything that works and fentanyl works in a hurry. It works real quick. Mm -hmm. um, and so as desperation goes up, as supply goes down, the use of unsafe substances goes way high. I don't know if people saw that in the ER. I think Josh, you're probably there a lot, but, um, we saw a lot more toxic use, like it was, it was heavier stuff. Yeah, we, in, in my uh, very brief experience, we've definitely seen uh, more folks that are used to quantifying their use. Like I know I will overdose if I have this much, but now that it's laced with fentanyl, it's much more potent. So what they're used to no longer applies. I've definitely seen that. With the whole um, fentanyl, marijuana, or oh, there's fentanyl in the air, or oh, I <laughs> said the word fentanyl, and then uh, a droplet touched my skin, and now I got an overdose of fentanyl. 
Um, been a couple folks that I've seen explain this to a layperson extremely well, and they try to relate it into things that they definitely already know about. So things like Bengue, right? Things that are um, used topically that absorb through the skin. There are things that can absorb through the skin. But if I try to say I'm hungry and I try to match a cheeseburger on my chest, I'm not going to absorb any of those <laughs> calories. You know what I mean? So if we can try to, instead of saying like, no, you dummy, that's not how it works. Well, like, how the hell are they supposed to know? You know what I mean? I don't want my mechanic to yell at me because I have no idea how to change the oil in my car. Like, I, I, like it wouldn't even be close. I have no idea how that works. So I, I feel like it's a good opportunity. You pour it on top, to pour the oil folks. on top of the car. That's... Yeah, just, yeah, just like, it's like salad dressing. You just kind of put it over top. If, if we don't penalize people for not knowing the education that we've spent our literal entire lives learning um, and using in ways that they understand, yeah. I feel like those conversations are not only end up better, but they're shorter too. Like in this state of like, oh, I got to get to the next patient. I feel like if you just meet them where you're at, things kind of, move quickly and everyone's happy at the end of the day too. <laughs> I, I find that all the time, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to a family and there's something that's very straightforward to me, but I have to really make sure that I set the foundation for the person. Like if I'm, if a parent is bringing in their teen who's suicidal and one of the things that has them saying they're going to kill themselves is their parent wants them off the video games. I can sit down with a parent and say, are you sure video games are this important to you right now? Like your child is here in the ER saying they're going to kill themselves. Do you think maybe we could focus on safety first and then move to working on the issue with the video games, maybe at a later time when you can set something up for you. And maybe we could just say for now, I would rather you be alive and do the things that make you happy and we'll work on it if it's a problem. And it's like a light goes on in their head. Like I could also be very judgmental about it. Like, why would you, why would you focus on this? Why would you put your child's life at risk over a video game? But, you know, honestly, they, it, as soon as the foundation is laid, they make the connections themselves and you get the parents themselves to say, wow, okay. Yeah. Maybe I should focus on safety for the time being. And I can work right. with the child's therapist on this other thing. So yeah, it's so important to not, um, like you said, penalize people for, for the knowledge that they didn't spend, you know, almost a hundred thousand dollars learning. <laughs> Canadian dollars. Education. Can, can, yeah. I, Canadian I, dollars. I, it's different. It doesn't count. Um, uh, all right. Speaking of uh, youth, uh, let's bring on my niece here partially to give us a perspective uh, on what it's like to be in high school these days and partially just to make Josh feel old the way he makes us feel old there she is hello hi hi fairy dear hi. hi sorry it's under my mom's name <laughs> fine. Fa- fairy dear, this is tyler hi and, and josh it's nice to meet you uh you too. how are you little buddy i'm good how are you <laughs> <laughs> my niece fairy dear uh, I'm not going to say your last name. I don't know if my sister would be upset about that. So we're just going to call you Fairy Dad. Listen, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're like, I don't know, I, always going to be 12 in my mind, but I'm pretty sure you're not anymore. So wh- what are you right now? No, I'm 17 and I'm a junior in high school. So. And you are on your high school's wellness committee. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm in leadership. And one of the committees you can sign up for and be the lead of, which I am, is the community outreach and wellness committee. And we work with the wellness center at our school, which kind of focuses on mental health. So is this something that existed before COVID or is this a COVID 
entity? Um, it did exist, but it definitely became, people were stressing it a lot more after COVID hit because you could email the wellness center online, even though we weren't at school. Um, my freshman year before COVID, I had really not heard about it um, a lot yet. So it definitely became a bigger thing once COVID hit. And were you, is this something that you think has actually um, done some tangible good? You feel like you've, you've accomplished something with this? What do you think is you're, you're doing at this point? Um, I think the wellness center, it's run by some adults at our school. I think that it has done some good things. Um, they have events that they give out little like toys and stuff that people really like. And I think it just shows how much like that they're there and that it's an option. I think that's kind of the biggest part. They, they're like, not every kid uses it, but they're there. If you need it. Do, do you think the kids in your school are uh, accepting of this? Are they, are they kind of rolling their eyes about it? Or are they actually taking it seriously or is it both? Like they kind of roll their eyes a little bit, but then use it when they need it. I do feel like it's both. I feel like no one wants to admit that it's helpful and important, but when it comes down to it, if they really need help, they would go there or, cause it's like a room where you can go and sit, even if you're not, if something horrible hasn't happened, you can just go and get tea and like not be stressed about school as much. So I do, I do think people use it a lot. I know this is an impossible question to answer, um, but tell us a little bit about what the last couple of years have been like. A big part of your uh, high school experience has been during COVID, mm -hmm. pretty much all of it. Mm -hmm. um, how's that how's that been well yeah like you said i was a freshman when COVID hit so i had about i don't know six months of regular high school and it's it at first it was really like new and no one really knew what was going on and i was really sad because i like being in the classroom um so being at home and learning that we weren't going back going back to school that year really upset me and i had no idea that we weren't gonna go back for like at least another year um sophomore year online you're a little more used to it but and of course it's easier you know to do work online and sit in your bed all day but it's just it wasn't like the right high school experience and opening a computer screen every day and then just closing it and sitting in the same spot the whole entire day is, was not fun so going back to school I was really happy even though hybrid was not a lot of people went back and the classrooms were really small and we're all spaced out, I still feel like it was better. And now school is pretty normal again. I feel it's the most normal it's been in a really long time. And so I think COVID just kind of stopped everyone. And we're all just trying to get back to where we stopped like two years ago. Do, do you feel like you missed out on anything that you kind of wish you had experienced? I, I wish I had experienced maybe at least a year of high school before getting shut down. Um, luckily for me, I got to have my prom this year, but I know a lot of seniors and the juniors of that year had no prom, no senior ball. So that I'd be really upset if I missed all of that. And, um, I just feel like I missed like the growing steps, like my class jokes that we skipped the years you get made fun of. But I mean, at some point that's kind of just what you're supposed to go through in high school. And we kind of miss that. Oh, you need someone to pick on you. Yeah. I mean, now I'm an upperclassman. I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> Tyler. Um, I had a, had just wondered how, how did you think the teachers and school did in using the technology of zoom and, and being able to do stuff online and computers? How did they use it 
well, or do you think that they kind of just tried to replicate classrooms over video, which must have been boring? I don't know how it felt. Like, do you feel like it was interactive and fun or was it kind of? Um, honestly, I feel like it depended on the teacher. Some teachers were really good at it and it wasn't the same, obviously, nowhere near the same as real, like being in the classroom. You can't talk to people like you would. You have to be in a breakout room to talk to people. And a lot of the times in my experience, no one would talk because everyone doesn't want to talk or show their face on camera. So you'd just be staring, staring at a bunch of blank screens. I think it was probably really hard for teachers. It was probably the hardest year to get participation because no one wanted to talk over a Zoom screen when you're the only one talking. <laughs> Zoom yeah. inertia. It's like you ask a question and then just everybody just doesn't respond. It's no, painful. It's a bunch of foreheads. Yeah. Josh, uh, I wonder what you think about uh, if you looked on any kind of news outlet, there's a lot of tend to be older folks that are saying things on the behalf of adolescents, right? Like, oh, kids these days are going to be scarred for life. They're never going to know how to interact with a person, but they never really have a teenager answering any of those questions. I'm just wondering how you feel. How do you feel like you're able to connect with others or communicate with people um, just in your own words? Um, I think that even though it was obviously really difficult and it was a difficult time, I feel like we're all going to be able to bounce back and people I know now know how to interact with people. Like we all, it, even though we were cut off for a year, we still had our phones, which it, so we could talk, we could text and we still saw people there. And I feel like no matter what, we're, we're going to bounce back and we're still going to be just as fine as every other generation. Yeah, I remember. So Better. I'm 26. Um, so it probably seems super old to you, but super young to the other two in this call. No, um, you're old. You're old. You're really old. Yeah. Look at that beard. It's all pretty much people, the same. Yeah. Once you get past 25 and you can like rent a car, it's all, all downhill. downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. But I remember folks in my age bracket, we got our phones that were like the envy phone or the flip phones in middle school high school and i remember older folks at that time were saying oh they only know how to text they're not gonna know how to like speak an actual sentence and i feel like i turned out okay but now i feel like history is repeating itself people my age are like oh well now they're on tiktok and that's so much worse but i i feel like it's just history in its new form when you, you know, when there, you think about it though challenges. when you think about it though um i think like that the the generation that was already on like you know using tiktok and social media and actually using snapchat to do video chats with each other and those types of things um, were the best prepared for what was coming we had to all learn how to be online and interact and how to show emotions and stuff like that like kids got emojis for everything uh, they can express very complex emotions through um, through through text and through virtual i don't know if you feel that's the same uh, but I was just going to say, I do feel like we were probably better prepared for being at home for so long because I, I like I knew I knew to just like call my friends all the time and do group stuff, even though we couldn't be together physically. We were still all there. So, Do you feel like people appreciate it more or do you feel like people are already back to normal and it's like it almost never happened at this point? At this point, I feel like it's almost back to normal, which makes me happy. But at the beginning of the year, it was definitely like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're here. And the first day they had masks taken off, it was like the first day of school again, because you did not know what anyone looked like in your class. And then mm -hmm. a lot of people had their masks off. And 
from the beginning for a while, um, in the beginning of the year, we had things getting canceled constantly because the cases would go up and down. So mm-hmm. it's been like the longest time where pe- things have just stayed like nice and we don't have events that we plan, especially in leadership getting canceled constantly. We can be in the gym again. It's like, it, I think at this point, people are getting used to what was normal, but at the beginning of the year, it was definitely like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there are some people who have had a hard time adjusting to getting back to normal? Oh, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people I'm very close to who were at the beginning of the year all saying, I wish we were online. It's so much easier. But now they're so happy to be back at school because you just get adjusted and used to being at home and not doing anything, which is really, I don't think is healthy at all. And so a lot of people wanted to be back at home. Um, but I think they realize now that it's so much better to be here and be present with people. Right on. You know, I have a question, actually. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as far as wellness committee, like the, the group that you're a part of. So I'm going to be working in an emergency department and we have like standardized questions that we tend to ask. It's called the heads assessment, where we essentially gauge how's your home life, how's school. And then you get to the like every teenager, like sex, drugs and rock and roll type of questions to assess for risk. Something that I always ask about is things like cyberbullying, right? Um, what's your experience online? Because that's such a big facet of your life. And but if someone's cyberbullying you, I want to know who they are. I want to know where they live, Barry, because <laughs> I will find them. So Kaveh can beat them up, yes. But what what's like a question that you um, have seen from um, folks in your age bracket where they are going through something? What's a question that people our age tend to not ask that people wish they did? Um, like what's a better way that we can connect and not seem so out of touch? Um, I do feel like the cyberbullying one is a very good question, especially now. Um, personally, I think that asking about their stress load for college, because colleges are getting harder and harder to get into. And for me and many of my peers, it's a really big part of like all of our stress and anxiety with school. And for a lot of people, that's a really big issue. I know people get super stressed out and their mental health goes down. So Maybe just asking how comfortable they feel at school and learning and if they're like super stressed about their schoolwork. It's so neglected by adults how how much school is a stress. Like it's the full-time job. Your classmates are your coworkers, your teacher is your boss, the principal's the supervisor, your homework is the, you know, the overtime. You know, it really is quite an analogy. It's, it can be really stressful. One part I'd, I'd say that I've always learned when I work with kids is after about age 12, you can ask them, how can I help you? Instead of saying, here's what you should do. Um, I find a lot of adults go quickly into, I've experienced everything, so here's what you should do. And they do a lot less of, how do you think I could be helpful to you? What would you like to see happen? If, if you got your way, how would this change? Um, because I'll tell you, um, the answers you get back are never bad answers. <laughs> They're good answers. I think about it a lot in terms of everything you guys are going through and, and how we can communicate best to you guys and still be able to, to help in some meaningful way. And, and it's so hard once you, as the older you get, I find uh, to be able to do that in a meaningful way. So the other thing is I, I do notice that every younger generation though, seems to make up for that by being more eloquent and more vocal and speaking more truth to power so I guess that's the one thing that kind of gives me hope. Um, you find that as well. You find like your generation is uh, different in its identity 
than the ones before it? I feel like my generation is very um, well-spoken. I feel like we have a lot of people who are really intelligent and because of social media, you're allowed to hear those voices a lot more, which I think is kind of different from generations previous. And I feel like many people my age, we're, we're all kind of moving forward with ideas rather than backwards. And so I feel like we're, my generation is going to make a difference. And I think that it's going to keep happening with every generation behind. I, I keep hoping, uh, I, like the, the more that old people die off, the more that the young people <laughs> replace them, you'll see things like homophobia, transphobia, racism, not completely end, but virtually end. Like it'll be so fringe. Yeah. Um, I have, I've been asking kids since I've been interviewing them, I was taught, ask, you know, what's your name? How would you like to be called? What pronouns do you prefer? And I've watched the shift of kids go pronouns. What do you mean? All the way through to, yeah, she, her. They don't, they don't care at all when you ask the pronoun question. But of course, the adults, they really care about the pronoun question. There's a whole thing in Florida right now about the, the mm-hmm. pronoun question. So, you know, I, I think the generation is so tolerant and, and they can see the world and the interconnectivity allows the younger generation to see people that are different than them. And once you do that, a lot of the assumptions and biases you have just go away. Yeah. Well, that's a great place for us to close up on. We had a lot more I want to cover, but we're just going to do it in another episode. We're going to have to talk about the preprint, Tyler, you put out on Twitter. I want to <laughs> go into that because uh, that's fascinating. And uh, and no, I'm not going to cover testicular red light therapy, um, but uh, we have so much more to cover. We'll get to later. Very, I'm really proud of you. You're doing great. Uh, it's so awesome to see you becoming. What do you like... want to do in college? What do you what, what are you studying to become? I'm just curious. I would like to major in history and become a lawyer. Wow. Well, like her mom. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I also am interested in medicine. So, <laughs> well, she's she's Persian, so there's two options. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe three. You could become like a civil engineer if you really want to disappoint yeah. your parents. Architect would work. But... Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. But you better marry a doctor. Um, yeah. All right. You're going to, whatever it is you decide to do, you're going to be amazing at it. Um, let's get some plugs in. Uh, so let's let's start. Faraday, do you want to plug anything? Is, is your mom going to let you plug anything? I <laughs> think. <laughs> <laughs> I think okay yeah world peace she's plugging world peace very good tyler what where can people uh see this preprint that you put out on twitter a very exciting new idea where where can people find you and uh, that information yeah i am uh, i'm on twitter just at tyler black 32 i try really hard i have a piece hopefully in the new york times coming out a little bit on looking at the evidence of um uh mental health and kids during the pandemic and i try to you know, I try to be where people are watching. So hopefully people will run across me. It's excellent work. You're doing excellent work, man. I really appreciate not only your Twitter feed and social media presence, but the stuff you write long form. Um, it's really well done. And thank you for doing that. And, and uh, Josh, absolutely one of my favorite people online to follow. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm at Josh Magoo on Twitter where I'm trying to figure out what to post now that I'm done with step one and step two. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, but that's mostly pictures of my kid and my two cats. So whatever you're interested in, you can find it at those places. Absolutely recommend following uh, all those people. Don't follow my niece 
follow the rest of them. All right. We're at the House of Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can, if you haven't already, please rate and review us at iTunes. It does apparently help get new listeners to the show. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.